the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Podcast, and I am your host, Nick DiGilio. Uh, thrilled to be here. Part of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network, the best podcast network in the world, where you can get some of the greatest and most varied and informative and entertaining podcasts ever. Check out radiomisfits.com. Perhaps you're there already, and we thank you for that. Uh, take the time to listen to all of the podcasts uh, over here at Radio Misfits, and then uh, please rate and review us on every single platform. Discuss us uh, at RadioMisfits.com. We love your feedback. I love your feedback here on uh, my podcast, on the Nick D Podcast. You can leave your voicemail message anytime you want, 24-7. We want your feedback. We want your thoughts, uh, everything. 773-417-6948 with questions and comments and feedback and all kinds of stuff. Hey, are you coming out to uh, Zany's in Rosemont to see this podcast live on stage? Me, Esmeralda, you. We've got prizes to give away, surprise guests. All kinds of really great stuff. It's going to be hilarious. It's going to be fun. We're going to have a great time. And it's going to be live at Zany's in Rosemont on Tuesday, November 15th. Um, And uh, we would love you to come out. You going to come and check that out? Let us know. Voicemail us at 773-417-6948. Email us anytime you want. Again, thoughts, questions, comments, anything. NickDPodcast at gmail.com. That's for you. You uh, uh, help us out. <clears throat> we listen to all the voicemails. We read all the emails, and we play and read uh, many of them back on uh, the podcast itself. You can also uh, be a sponsor on our podcast, advertise with us. Uh, if you got a business you want to advertise with us, we'd love to hear from you. Contact us and say, hey, I want to get some ads on the Nick D Podcast. Lots of people listen to this podcast, folks. So uh, you might want to do that. Check it out. Sales at RadioMisfits.com if you're interested in getting an ad. Sales at RadioMisfits.com. For the Zanies tickets, uh, please come out. Tell your friends. Tell your neighbors. Let's pack the place. The tickets are on sale now. You can buy your tickets. Order them right now. The website, Rosemont.Zanies.com. Rosemont.Zanies.com. Or you can call the box office at 847-813-0484. Zanies in Rosemont, really easy to get to, parking everywhere, uh, lots of venues for uh, uh, bars and concerts and all kinds of cool stuff, and tons of restaurants around there. You can make an entire evening of it. Tuesday, November 15th, we start at 7.30 p.m. It's the Nick D Podcast Live, and it's going to be hilarious. You can be part of the historic recording. So the box office again, 847-813-0484 for your tickets for Tuesday, November 15th, Nick D Podcast Live, or check out the website, rosemont.zanies.com. All right. Lots of cool stuff coming up. Hey, very excited for my guest uh, on the podcast uh, today, and that's David Mastalchian. David Mastalchian is uh, Mastalchian is a is a terrific actor, uh, local guy. Spent a significant amount of time here in Chicago doing a lot of theater here and and, and films and TV and things like that. Going out to L.A. Uh, is an incredibly uh, uh, creative dude who has got a lot of talent in so many different uh, fashions, not just as an actor. But he was in Dune, he was in The Suicide Squad, he was in Twin Peaks, The Flash, uh, Ant-Man movies. Uh, He is also a writer. He created the comic book 
um, from Dark Horse Comics called Count Crowley. He is that character. We're going to talk. And he loves horror movies. And it is, I don't know if you know this or not, but it is Halloween time. So. Sink your teeth into that. Oh, it's Count Farchula. He likes to come by and say hello. That's right. So anyway, it is Halloween time, and throughout this month, uh, on every single episode, we're going to be embracing the world of scary stuff and Halloween stuff and uh, horror movies and things like that. And David is a huge horror movie fan, so we're going to dive headfirst into the world of horror and talk about what's up next for him and all kinds of cool stuff. So the great actor, writer, creator, David Desmalchian is going to be joining us. Esmeralda Leon is going to join me. We're going to be talking about some scary shit. Uh, We're also going to be talking about uh, some terrible... Um, roles, early roles that actors and actresses took. You can't shake them off your resume. They're there forever. We'll talk about that and more. And of course, remind you again to get your butt to Zanies and Rosemont on Tuesday, November 15th to see us live on stage. All of that coming up uh, on the podcast. Uh, and of course, I can't say, uh, you know. Hi, I'm Carrie Russell, and I love Nick's show. Thank you, baby. I love you too. So uh, that's all coming up on the show. I did want to open a couple of quick things. Um, before we jump into uh, and say hello to David Desmalchian. Um, and a very serious uh, note, um, a really good friend of mine passed away. I just found out about it. As I taped this, I just found out about it last night. Um, his name was Sergio Mims. Sergio was, and I can't believe I'm using that past tense uh, word, um, was an amazing guy that I knew for uh uh, over 37 years when I first started coming to uh, film critic screenings back in 1985 when Roy Leonard said, hey, uh, I want you to be a part of my radio show and uh, you're going to start coming to press screenings and seeing movies ahead of time so that we can review them and blah, blah, blah. So I began reviewing movies professionally in 1985. And as a perk to that, I get to, and still do, get to go to press screenings and private screenings. And I get to see the movies for free, usually a few days to a month or a couple of weeks ahead of time. And uh, these, pre- these press screenings, uh, were, there was a world of their own that was created in these press screenings and a bunch of characters uh, that, we all, you know, that we all know. And it's still the same way now. It's many, many, many years later, and the room looks different, and the people look different, and the people are different. Some of us are still around. Uh, so, some of us were there back in the mid-'80s, are still in that screening room now. Um, we're just older and grumpier. Uh, one of the guys that I first met back in 1985 was Sergio. Sergio Mims is a film scholar, was a film scholar, um, a guy that worked on movies. Uh, he worked with Reginald Hudland on, on House Party and other films. He was an AD. He was a scholar. He was a teacher. He was a writer. Uh, he was one of the organizers of the Black Harvest Film Festival. He helped out at any kind of film event, any film-related thing that happened in Chicago Sergio was all over it and was supportive, and he was funny as hell. Um, he was nine years older than me, and yet we bonded big time. Um, he, is a, he was an African-American South Side resident, and I am a white boy from the North Side. And yet we bonded immediately. And I think one of the reasons why we bonded was because Sergio, who grew up on the South Side near Hyde Park, would, um, in the 70s, would take the train into the loop and see all of the exploitation movies and the kung fu movies and all the big releases, the big Hollywood movies as well, but he would see them all in the loop at those theaters, uh, you know, the, the, the big uh, theaters that were grindhouses at that time, the State Lake Theater, the Roosevelt Theater, the United Arts, the Woods, the Oriental, the Chicago Theater, um, all of those big, once beautiful, uh, uh, big theaters 
uh, were kind of run down in the early 70s. And Sergio was a, was, a, was a kid and a teenager at that time, and I was younger than he was. And yet I saw all the movies uh, that my dad would take me to down in the loop in the grindhouses. Uh, and at that time, at that time, um, the, 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 the audiences for the movies were mostly African-American. It was, uh, they were, the, the crowds were, you know, it was my father and me and, and the rest of the theater, 90% of the rest of the theater were African-American uh, uh, patrons. Um, and it was a very, very, uh, you know, cultural thing. Uh, to do. And I spent uh, most of my time in the 70s going to those theaters and seeing the movies with the very distinctive crowds of African Americans who were very vocal. And I know it's stereotypical, but it was true. Uh, And I loved going to the movies with black audiences in the early 70s. And when I told Sergio that we first met back in 1985, and I told Sergio that I grew up going to the loop grindhouse and seeing all the triple features and the kung fu movies and the horror movies and all that stuff, he immediately was like, okay, you're okay. He immediately said, <laughs> he immediately uh, was like, you know what? This white boy's all right. I think I'm going to get along with this guy. And uh, we bonded immediately. And uh, I mean, his knowledge of film was immeasurable. His love of film was, uh, more, you know, he had more passion for film and love for film than any of us. Uh, and the stories that he told, the experiences that he had, we used to tell stories back and forth about our experiences going to those grindhouses in the 70s and seeing all those great black exploitation movies. Uh, he was on my show millions of times to talk about the black experience, how black men uh, were portrayed in movies over the years. He wrote many papers. He taught many, many, um, many, many uh, uh, classes. Uh, anybody who ever met him in the screening room has stories. Uh, he has one particular, there's one legendary particular story that Sergio, uh, uh, that involves Sergio and a very legendary, very specific Warner Brothers publicist from years back uh, at a screening, uh, before a screening, uh, Sergio told him to kiss his black ass and stormed out of the screening room after being treated like crap by this particular legendary notorious publicist from Warner Brothers. And that was back in the 80s. Uh, but, you know, sitting in a screening room with Sergio, just talking, talking with him at, at dinner, hanging out with him. Uh, he had incredible stories. He had great passion. He loved movies that nobody else loved. And he and I bonded a lot over movies that a lot of people hated. <laughs> they did. A lot of people hated some of the movies that we loved. Um, and, uh, uh, I, I mean, I, like, for instance, I can get, I mean, I could name dozens of movies that just Sergio Mims and myself loved. And other people were like, are you guys fucking crazy? Um, I mean, first one that pops into my mind is Across the Universe, the Beatles musical that Julie Taymor directed uh, about 15 years ago. Um, and he and I were huge fans of that movie and everybody on Earth hated it and it bombed. And he and I would be like, fuck all y'all. We love it. Uh, and there were a lot of movies like that. We would bond over, uh, over you know, over Richard Pryor movies. And, uh, you know, like Blue Collar was a big connecting movie between Sergio and I. Um, we, it, it's very weird how we connected. Uh, you know, he's nine, he was nine years older than me. Like I said, Southside African-American dude. And I'm a white boy, nine years younger than him. But somehow this whole, like, connected 70s uh, connection that we had of basically growing up in those grindhouses with black audiences seeing all those movies... Uh, immediately he took a liking to me and let me in. And, uh, and again, uh, I learned from him. He learned from me. It was a great 50-50 uh, situation. Uh, he was incredibly supportive of everything I did, and I supported everything he did. Uh, every adventure he had in the film business, in the film festival world, in writing about film, in essays, in book form, in teaching, in lecturing, uh, I would always support everything that he did. The Black Harvest Film Festival wouldn't exist without Sergio, 
he was a driving force behind it. And, uh, you know, and in fact, um, one of the uh, a conversation that we had a few months ago at the Chicago Critics Film Festival, when we both attended the 35 millimeter screening of the Boogie Nights at Music Box, it was packed. We talked in the lobby and hung out and just we, you know, and, and Sergio and I had an unspoken bond. We really did. We were real, real close. We didn't see each other a ton. We talked on the phone and at screenings. He 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 fell ill a few times. He was sick for a while. Um and there were things that happened to his body over the course of like the past 15 years uh, that uh, required him to, to use a cane. And he was slowing down physically, but he never his passion never dropped. Um, you know, he was he spent some significant time in the hospital. He was in rehab centers and stuff like that because of things that was hap- things that were happening to him um, and his body. Um, but uh, he never lost that passion. He was never less than hilarious. He was completely outspoken. He did not give a shit if people didn't like what he said. And that's another thing that I loved about Sergio because I don't give a shit what people uh, think about what I say. Um, and uh, he was a great, great friend. And uh, we were talking uh, before this screening that I mentioned at the Chicago Critics Film Festival last May of Boogie Nights. And um, we talked beforehand and, we, and then we, the place was packed so we went to get our seat. And then I see Sergio kind of wandering around looking for somebody. And I was wondering, is he looking for me? Because we weren't sitting together. He, I like to sit down front. And I was sitting down front. And um, he was looking around, looking around. And finally, we make eye contact. And he comes up and he grabs me. And he starts to, he grabs me like by my lapels. I wasn't wearing a you know, jacket or anything, but it, like grabbed me by my shirt. And he says, hey, I forgot to tell you this, man. We are going to be doing at Black Harvest this year, November 5th, Reggie's going to be coming. And he was talking about Reggie Hudlin. And we're going to be doing a 35 millimeter uh, screening of uh, 30th anniversary screening of Boomerang, which is my favorite Eddie Murphy movie of all time and was Sergio's favorite movie of all time. He was really good friends with Reggie Hudlin, the filmmaker, the great filmmaker, and he worked on Reggie's movies and knew him for many, many, many years. Um, and he grabbed me and was like, man, we're doing a 30th anniversary celebration of Boomerang, November 5th at Black Harvest. You're in. We're going to go. It's going to be great. And I'm like, yeah, man, yeah. And then we both busted into our John Witherspoon imitation. And we went, we got to coordinate and we both did that and started laughing, and he went back to his uh, seat. November 5th is going to be an impossible night. Um, uh, the Black Harvest Film Festival overall is going to be I- incredibly painful uh, to, to get through. Um, the, the, the impression that Sergio Mims left behind is immeasurable and unfillable. He was an incredibly nice guy, um, brilliant. If you had any questions about who directed what, who shot what, and you know, he knew it. I mean, he was an encyclopedia of film knowledge. It didn't matter what genre. It didn't matter what year. He loved the old stuff. He loved the new stuff. He looked forward to everything. Uh, Eric Childress, who's another colleague of mine, obviously you hear him on this podcast, uh, was talking about the last conversation he had with Sergio. Sergio was talking about how excited he was to see Steven Spielberg's new film, The Fablemans. And there was a real excitement that he got and a real joy that he got from him. He loved movies. Um, of the people that I know, of the film critics that I've met, of the scholars that I've known, in the over 37 years that I've been reviewing movies and being a part of the film world, especially the, 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 the world uh, in, in Chicago, the scene in Chicago when it comes to film, nobody had more passion and more knowledge of film than Sergio Mims. Nobody. Um, you know, he pissed people off sometimes. He was a grumpy dude every once in a while. His opinions were strong, and they were his own, and he shared them. 
Uh, he and I, uh, we bonded big time on a lot of stuff. We loved, like I said, we loved a lot of movies that a lot of people hated. We love genre. We love to give respect to genres that everybody didn't give respect to, like exploitation movies, black exploitation movies, and action movies, and kung fu movies, and horror movies. The kind of stuff that a lot of film critics would poo-poo and go, oh, why would you want to watch that stuff? We championed, and we thought those movies were as good as anything, you know, that, that had won Academy Awards, or that, you know, like the, you know, Merchant Ivory movies, or... You know, like uh, you know, Coppola movies, any of the any any of the of the highbrow, very sophisticated films, uh, we would love the the genres of Z movies and kung fu movies and all that stuff. There, you know, Sergio, like myself, Sergio was like, every movie matters. It doesn't matter what fucking genre it is. It doesn't matter who's in it. it doesn't matter what color the filmmaker is. It doesn't matter how much it costs. Every movie has some sort of p- something to love about it. Um, so, he was also incredibly supportive of me. Uh, showed up at a lot of the stuff that I would host. He was supportive of everybody, everybody that he got to know. And, and over the years, Sergio was a staple in that screening room. And as the, the critics have moved on and some people have passed and the younger generation kept moving in and Sergio and I sometimes would sit in the screening room and look at the younger people coming in and going, look at these little motherfuckers talking smack, you know, because we were there since like 1985. You know, we were we were in those screening rooms. We were at the crappy screening room that was located uh, above the balconies of the Chicago theater that you'd have to take the worst, most rickety elevator to get to. Sergio and I were there back in those days, back in the in the days in the mid 80s, you know, when the screening room was filled with completely different people. There's only a couple of us left. There's only a couple from those days. And Sergio's passed away now. There's only a few even even less of us. Uh, in there, um, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to think of the who the OGs are. There's me. There's Dan Geyer. Um, uh, that's about. That <laughs> might be about it. <laughs> we're, we're 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 slowly we're slowly trickling away the the OGs of the Chicago film critic world and of the screen of the Chicago screening room, whether it be at Lake Street or on Erie or at the Chicago or you know uh, or up in up in Evanston. There was a screening room up there that we go to. Um, but, uh, yeah, uh, he was the old, G- he was, he was an OG. He was a, he was a film critic, Chicago film scene, f- you know, screening room OG. Uh, I loved him. Uh, I love talking to him about movies. Um, he was one of my favorite people on earth to talk to about movies. Uh, and Sergio Mims passed away. Um, and, uh, you know, obviously he was young. He was, uh, 66 and, uh, way too young. And again, he was fighting, uh, some, 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 health issues over the years. Um, and, uh, but he never lost his passion, um, ever. Uh, he was an inspiration to everybody who met him. Every single person who was part of this younger generation of, uh, film critics, like now I went to screenings. In fact, yesterday I went to the Lake street screening room yesterday and there were a bunch of people and there were a bunch of people there. And there were a few people that I kind of knew, but it was nothing like the first times that I was going there 37 years ago when I started going to screenings. And it just feels different. But uh, everybody in that room had had everybody had had a conversation with Sergio at one point. You would not go to a screening in Chicago and not at least know who Sergio Mims was, have a story, uh, a memorable one about an adventure that you went on with Sergio, um, and incredible. Uh, you know, I mean, he was there when I got my uh, my Walk of Fame uh, uh, plaque inducted uh, in the sidewalk outside of the Tribune Building. He, he at that time he had just had an operation that required him to use a cane. Uh, but he showed up. He showed up to a lot of my film screenings. He was loyal. He was funny. He was amazing. And again, I can't believe I'm using this in past tense, uh, in the past tense. 
So Sergio Mims, uh, a staple um, and an amazing dude, a guy that made an impact in the world of film in general that can't be filled, and uh, the impact that he made on the people who are part of the Chicago film scene, behind the scenes, making movies, criticizing movies, talking about movies, loving movies, just being a critic, being in the screening room. Um, he was a special, special dude. So uh, I just wanted to quickly pay tribute um, and, uh, and say that I loved, uh, I love you, Sergio, and I'll see you on the other side. And, um, you know, going to that screening room now is going to be a little bit different. It was like when, when, when Gene passed and then when Roger passed, it's that huge of an impact, um, that it's making, uh, in this circle of friends that are generational now. Um, you know, I'm, I'm one of the old, I'm, I'm one of the grumpy old men now, the younger, the younger, more, uh, enthusiastic, uh, film critics who who write for all kinds of stuff now. Uh, everybody writes for the internet, and they write for all kinds of things, and, I don't know, and it's expanded. It used to be about, I don't know, there were about 15 of us because there was no internet, there was no blogs, there were no you know podcasts, there were none of that stuff. Uh, so the avenues for which to, to write or to uh, broadcast your film reviews, there weren't as many, and it's, it's spread out and widened since then, and Sergio loved to see that happen. He loved younger people coming in. He loved to teach people. So anyway... Um, the screening room is going to be a lot uh, emptier now that Sergio's gone. I loved him. And, uh, you know, I believe the last conversation was um, about how much we, the last screening that I saw with him was the last Jurassic World movie. And we both walked out and said, boy, was that a piece of shit. And all of those movies suck. And we had no idea what the Barbasol shaving cream can was. Had no idea. So that was the last, I think that was the last screening I, I, I attended with him sitting next to me, which was a lot of fun because we both hated it. Uh, which is always fun. When Sergio and I hated a movie, we would have a blast talking about how much we hated it. Same thing. If we loved a movie, we would champion it too. I do want to mention very quickly uh, that the new uh, David O. Russell movie comes out this uh, comes out today, in fact, and it's called Amsterdam. And I guarantee it's with Christian Bale and and uh, 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 Margot Robbie and I mean just a ton. I mean the cast is ridiculous. There are like twenty five amazing actors and actresses that uh, that are in this movie. And everybody hates it. All the critics hate it. At the screening, people were like, what the hell is this? Every single person that I've talked to who have seen Amsterdam hates it. Every single review that I've read, a preview review that I've read about Amsterdam, David O. Russell's movie, they all hate it. I loved it. I think it's great. It's audacious. It's insane. Um, It's hilarious. It's weird. And it's bold. And I absolutely loved Amsterdam. And I'm telling you what, I'm all alone on that. But I guarantee you that if Sergio were here, he would have loved it. I guarantee that. And I know that. Sergio, if you're listening right now, I know you would have loved Amsterdam and it would have been one of those movies like Across the Universe where you and I would have been alone talking about its brilliance and talking about how, we, how much we loved it and how everybody else is fucking wrong. So, um, yeah. I, I, yeah. I just wish that, uh, that he would have been able to see Amsterdam and we could have had a conversation about it because I just, I know it in my gut. And the weird thing was he died yesterday and um, I got the, I got the news from, from Eric Childress, and for some reason, when I woke up yesterday morning, and I'm not bullshitting, when I woke up yesterday morning, um, I, felt, I felt weirdness about Sergio. He had been sick, he had been ill, he had been in and out of hospitals and, and rehab centers and, st- and stuff like that for his body, and I woke up yesterday, and I just started thinking about Sergio, and I got a real bad feeling and a bad vibe, and I don't know what that means, and then about, uh, I don't know, 14, 15 hours later, I got the call from Sir, or from. Uh, Eric about Sergio's death. So I will always miss Sergio Mims. Uh, he's an amazing guy. There are film reviews. There are, t- he's, he's appeared on a ton of podcasts. He's appeared 
um, on YouTube videos. There's a ton of video out there on YouTube. There's a ton of audio. There are tons of podcasts, which I'm sure will be you know, reposted all over the internet. Sergio is out there in the world of the internet, and Sergio was out there, uh, and his incredible views and his incredible knowledge, you wanna, you, if you want to be a part of it, just Google Sergio Mims, M-I-M-S, Google Sergio Mims uh, film, and just read all about him, read the stuff he wrote, watch the videos that he cut, watch the appearances that he made on shows and podcasts and stuff like that. He was a vast, vast wealth of information and an incredible guy, hilarious, opinionated, just a great dude, and his stuff is out there. Do yourself a favor. He was an amazing guy. Google Sergio Mims and, uh, and jump in and uh, find out why just a little bit. You, don't know, you didn't know him personally. I did, and that makes him even cooler. But just get a little taste of why Sergio Mims was amazing and why we are all going to miss him. So rest in peace, Sergio. I love you, buddy. Anyway, just wanted to talk a little bit about my friend. All right. Um, hey, uh, David Dismalchian is uh, coming up uh, right now. And, uh, but first, I would like to say to you, congratulations. Congratulations. You're about to listen to the Nick D podcast. It's by far the best decision you've made today. It makes the other podcasts seem like crap. Oh, yeah. Don't be a jagoff. All right, I am so excited uh, to uh, welcome to the to the podcast for the first time, um, Mr. Uh, a, a terrific actor. Has been in a ton of uh, a ton of great stuff and uh, incredible movies, and was spent a significant amount of time right here in this city in Chicago doing theater with people that I know and I you know cross the same paths. Uh, has gone on to do amazing movies, including uh, Dune, and uh, uh, he was in Twin Peaks, the Ant Man movies, Suicide Squad. Uh, and so much more. And uh, he's a horror fanatic, which is one of the reasons why we're having him on at this time of year. But he was on my radio show uh, a couple of times, uh, knew him in the in the circles, the same circles that we did in Chicago theater world. And now he is on uh, the podcast. And I cannot express how excited I am to have David Desmalchi in here. David, how are you, sir? Hey, my fellow monster kid brother, Nick, it is so good to be talking to you again, yeah. my friend, especially during this most sacred time of the year. Yes. And I, uh, I love hearing your voice. So I'm grateful and glad to be on your show. And uh, I think the podcast is really kick ass, man. So congratulations. Thanks, man. I, pr- I appreciate that a lot. And I, I really thank you. Uh, thank you for taking the time uh, to, to do this. I know you're busy as hell, which is a good thing, man. I, you know, watching Watching your career over the years, um, Jesus, man, just just fucking amazing. It really is amazing. Congrats, <laughs> congrats, congrats on all the coolness, man. Thanks, man. It's wacky to think about, you know, the the the, the hours I spent pouring over the shelves, you know, at, uh, at, at, at at comic shops like Graham Crackers down, you know, downtown when I used to work in telemarketing for Time Life off of, you know, Washington and Wabash. And then I'd walk over and get my comics or, you know, going to see all the movies at the Siskel Center and doing all the things that we all loved in Chicago, music box and storefront theater and seeing every you know, horror movie as soon as it came out as fast as I could. If it wasn't mainstream at a place like Webster Place, I would be, you know, at one of the art houses. And yeah. uh, and now I get to do this stuff. The last time, you know, you and I connected, getting to talk about this and 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 be a part of telling stories in this space is such a privilege and an honor to me. And um, and I I love and miss my old uh, home, Chicago. And I uh, 
hopefully we'll have a, a good reason to be back there very shortly. I'm working on that as we speak. We were just, uh, I was just talking with some of my cohorts in the Chicago Film Critics Association that- uh, oh, I love those guys. Yeah. Great yeah. cinephiles who also aren't yeah. freaking pretentious. If you know what I'm saying, like yeah. when you, when you, a lot of cinephiles and, and I, we all can slip into that trapping of, of, you know, we know so much, we have such strong opinions, we love cinema so much, and we, we fall in that rabbit hole sometimes where we get ahead of ourselves. And I think the wonderful thing about the Chicago Film Critics Association is it's a group of guys who and women who just love cinema, but also uh, have the ability to appreciate every, every kind of genre and every layer and level of movie, which we have to do. As soon as we start being exclusionary and too cool for school, we're screwed, man. Yeah. Well, the thing, how you came, I mean, it came up because I was talking to them about uh, the fact that you were, I was going to tape with you and you were going to be on my podcast. They're like, oh, he's so cool. And then one of the guys was like, hey, man, our very first audience award at the Chicago Critics Film Festival went to your movie, Animals, man. And you were there. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I was there and it, it was, it, it was amazing. Um, that being in the lobby at the music box with those guys and, all of the people from my Chicago life and friends and family, like funneling into this space that was so sacred to me was, uh, it's a, it's an experience I'll never, ever, ever forget. Um, and, uh, I'm so grateful for them, man. And making animals. I mean, I was talking to you offline, but like, I think back, that wasn't that long ago. It was, you know, in 2013, we set out, we went and made that movie in Chicago and I, and I remember just sitting in people's living rooms trying to convince them to to to, to chip in five or ten thousand dollars towards this micro budget story. And um, and my friend, when I kept wanting to give up, he kept saying to me, you know, build it and they will come. And I never could have imagined uh, how in the force in which they came. So many incredible artists. When you watch that film, Chicago actors and you know, camera teams and sound teams and, you know, uh, art department, like every single member of that team was a Chicago person. And it was just like, it, it, it uh, that movie, uh, it lives in my soul forever, man. And I'm so glad yeah. we got to do it. Well, you know, I mean, again, we were talking about it because I'm a member of the of the Film Critics Association as well. And I was talking about it and, and they had an incredible year this year. They've been doing it now. I think it was the ninth year this year. Yeah, uh, back in so May, awesome. where they took over the music box for a few days and just for a full week and show some of the movies that they wanted to show. And I saw some amazing stuff, um, you know, uh, during that festival. And they do great work. I love those guys, and they're friends of mine. And I'm a member, and uh, and I'm proud to be a member. But uh, but yeah, they got they were all excited. All the dudes from there who were there that night and who you know hanging out with you in that lobby that you were talking about, they were all like, "Tell David I said hi, man." So that's, what, <laughs> that's what I'm. Doing. You know what's pretty awesome? Really quick uh, sidebar connection to that night. Um, when I was there for the festival um, back, that was the 2014 festival, I believe. Yeah, or, I think yeah. it was, and, yeah. um, and uh, Bobcat was there as well, um, Goldthwait. He was uh, sharing a film that he had made that the festival was um, had, had programmed. Um, and I was like uh, such a fan of his. And I got a chance to meet him you know, as well as David Wayne, who I was such a fan of, both of those guys were just kind of hanging around the lobby. And yeah. um, I think Bobcat was there doing Willow Creek. And I think I think David was doing We Came Together and uh, promoting both of those as part of the festival. And now they're two of my very close 
friends. Like I was just with Bobcat the other day. We were at a wedding together. And the week before that, we were working on a top secret thing that you will think is very cool. And yeah. uh, David and I do a, a charity uh, event every year together. And um, I mean, yeah. I have, uh, anyway, just a, just, well, a, just a little non sequitur sidebar. But I, okay. when I think about Chicago Film Critics Association in that festival, there's yeah. all these little tidbits that mean so much to this day. It's a little bit weird that you mentioned Bobcat because uh, one, I fucking love him, and he oh, makes God, amazing he's the best, movies, man. and he's, he's become so good. How did who who thought that back in the police uh, uh, academy days that that guy would become like one of the greatest, if not the greatest, black comedy filmmakers of all time? Like, I mean, yeah. unbelievable! Like, he, world's greatest dad, world's yeah. greatest dad, man. I, I know, mean, man. Come on, and he lives. He lives on. The, what I love is is he made this this intentional choice to just go as you know to to this to this most authentic dark place yeah. that um, for me every time I sit down and watch one of his movies it you know there's this there's this like they're these heroes to me like superheroes in the world of of cinema especially who who have the the cojones to go make the independent cinema that they need to make regardless of what people are going to say and how people are going to react to it and 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 of course he he's an entertainer too he loves you know i'm i know making people laugh and touching people's hearts and changing yeah. people's minds but like yeah. the the bobcat goldthwaites the the joel petrikas is these these like uh, to me like guys out doing stuff that have inspired me. And I never, I never imagined that I would get a chance to, yeah. uh, to talk to him. And now I, yeah. I just, I want to collaborate with him a ton. It's, you know, it's interesting because it's funny that you mentioned him because, uh, he is coming to town here in Chicago or he, yeah. he's going to be, he's going to be playing Zanies in Rosemont. And coincidentally, David, uh, I will be doing my very first gig live, uh, at Zanies in Rosemont a week after him. Oh, um, well, and, uh, and I'm doing the Nick D podcast live. Me and Esmeralda Leon will be on stage. Oh, dude, that's and, awesome. Uh, yeah, and it's going to be in the same space a week after Bobcat is at Zany's and Rosemont. We're going to be there. <laughs> pretty cool, man. That's a very good sign. That is a good omen when Bobcat Goldthwaite plays the space a week before you do your first live broadcast. Yeah. Yeah. That, uh, there you go. You just got yeah. the blessing of the I, comedy and movie gods. I think so. Uh, all right, listen, there's so much to talk about, and I only got you for a little bit, and, and hopefully this will be the first of some, you know, semi-regular visits david because i'd can't, love that yeah i can't explain to you how much how great it is now halloween let's get to well, well we know actually hold on i'm sorry uh since we last spoke and it's been a couple of years since yes. we last spoke it's been a few years um i don't know if you, i don't know if you, did we talk about how much i am fucking obsessed with dune i mean before the movie <laughs> how how much i how much i love the books how much i worship frank herbert um, and, uh, I, I even look, I know a lot of people piss on it. I back Lynch's version. I do. Yeah, man. It, of course. There's and, so much incredible artistry in that film. And there's so much like just boundary pushing yep. science fiction, visual yep. uh, succulence that just like, and the performances he gets with the cast is phenomenal. I mean, I'm sitting in my office right now with a spinning rack of famous monster and Dracula lives magazines on one side of me and behind me, a framed, uh, old, uh, parchment with fear is the mind killer uh, printed boldly on it. And it's been there for a very long time. So you can imagine, you know, my lifelong obsession with Herbert and Dune in particular, which I've always felt was a significant piece of literature, not just science fiction. I always felt this was a really important piece of lit that people need to read whatever their proclivities are when it comes to the kind of lit that they generally absorb. And 
I've known Denis for several years now. He gave me one of my first breaks. I mean, he put me in his film Prisoners back in yep. 2013, yep. Uh, which really had a huge impact on my work. And um, and we've collaborated together three times now. And when he told me he wanted me to play Piter to Freeze, oh, um, I just literally <laughs> had to go change my pants. I, it's funny because you're saying what's what you're surrounded by. To my right uh, are a stack of books and the bookends that I have uh, one side is the tail of a worm and the other side is the head of the worm. So there it looks go. like, it looks like the sandworm <laughs> is coming through my books. Amazing. Uh, it's, it's so, so, but no, I'm a huge, I just want to say, first of all, Denis did it, man. Uh, that's all I'm saying. Uh, I could go on and, for hours, but I was like, okay, please, please, please. And he did it. He made, as far as I'm concerned, the quintessential, a book that I thought was impossible to adapt. Yes. Um, and he did it, man. He did it. And yes. again, you know, we got the second part coming out next year and I can't even explain to you, but when it was over, like I, I went to, they had, a, I'm sure you, well, you know this, you participated in it. They, uh, had like a 10 minute preview in last July yes. in theaters in IMAX. And you were interviewed during the segments and all that stuff. And they showed a couple of sequences. They showed the first 10 minutes and they showed the first spice mining scene. And I cried. I was crying, David. I was in the theater, like, yeah. crying because I was like, <gasps> and the goddamn score. I mean, I, everything about it, the cat, everything, it's perfect, man. And you were amazing in it. You were Thanks. so good. Thanks, man. Thank you. I was um, so honored to be a part of it, and, and I made some lifelong friends on it. And, again, getting to, to be there privy to Denny's ma mad yeah. brilliance is such God. a gift. And um, he really did. He, he brought – the book to life in a way that I, I didn't know was possible. And I'm so, I'm so grateful for him in the world of film because he bridges that gap, you know, the way that, um, you know, some filmmakers that were getting the honor of living during their, their kind of primes do the Nolans, the Jenkins, the, you know, these, these filmmakers that have just like elevated large scale, uh, chain theater movie going experiences with, film that will go down and people can look at you know 50 or 100 years from now and be like that was a really important piece of of move, movie making yeah you know yeah well i love his work man i absolutely love his work all the way i'm glad I you mean, liked the movie no i did i i can't and i can't wait for the second one and uh i mean working with stellan skarsgård must have been unbelievable i mean dude i mean he uh, was in makeup such a long part of the day that the, a lot of my coverage we would shoot they had this fantastic actor from england who would do voice match work for Stellan. So he'd be in the shadows kind of having to deliver some of Stellan's, you know, dialogue because it was literally like, he, I think it was eight, eight hours, maybe six and a half, seven hours of him in makeup, getting into that, that full look for the Baron. And then he would come slowly out towards mm. set. And, you know, I remember <laughs> Dave Batista and I standing there just kind of our yeah. jaws on the ground, trembling a little bit. And then Stellan would sit, settle into wherever he, the Baron was going to be kind of situated for that sequence. And, and he, 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 it's the most amazing things when people say like, well, it doesn't really matter. That guy's under 500 pounds of makeup and you've got all this prosthetics and blah, blah, blah. It goes back to my obsession and fascination with the work of Lon Chaney, one of the greatest actors of all time. And you go, well, but he was buried under all this amazing makeup and the makeup is the thing. But you go, no, man, what? Stellan, what these great artists who understand the power of that kind of, of integrated performance with makeup can do is it's in their eyes and their voice yeah. and the slightest gestures that he made as the Baron were so terrifying that hopefully you can see it in 
Piter's eyes. And Piter's basically a human computer, so emotions aren't like his thing. But to to, yeah. to demonstrate some sense of fear um, was really important for me, especially in the in the wake of this guy who I kind of am willing to talk back to or go around. Um, yeah. So it was yeah. really awesome. Well, I could go on and on. But anyway, congrats. The movie's great. Thanks. Denis is Denis is a master. I love all he of is. this stuff. I mean, uh, Arrival, I can't even I can't even just talk about that movie without getting emotional. Uh, the Blade Runner sequel, which is just a fucking masterpiece. I just think he's a genius, and I'm and and I'm glad that that guy's around. That's all I'm saying. Uh, so. Yes, yes, um, yes, and yes. All right. Well, let's talk uh, Halloween since we got you here. Uh, uh, first of all, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, I'm wearing ever... my Sven Gulli shirt, by the way. Oh, uh, good, guys, Sven. Because I'm getting ready to go. Uh, I have to go right from this to another thing, and I'm and I'm I'm in the middle of um, writing a lot right now, and. Sven's such an inspiration for me, so I've got my yeah. Sven shirt on. Well, they just had a special on MeTV. I don't know if you saw it over the weekend. Yes, he, yes, uh, it was great. And, and I was on it for like yes, uh, a yes. few seconds. I, which was I, every, there was a l- little snippets of some great stuff over the years, and there was a little snippet of, there was you for a second. Uh, there was some Svengoolie stomp in there. You uh, were in there, yeah. You yes, were in there, yes, uh, yeah. yeah. Um, and he's just, he's a rich, he's been a friend for a long time and a great. Uh, he's so he was, great. He, 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 I'll tell you something, David, it's a very special relationship that I have with him. He immediately, when I said, look, I'm going to try this podcast thing out, um, and I would love to have you as my first guest, he said, whatever you need, whenever you need it, and he was my first guest. He, he broke cherry on me with this podcast. So, <laughs> I know. Uh, but, yeah. I love that. <laughs> That's so awesome. So, but anyway, yes, yeah, Svengoolie is fantastic and all that, and you've, and you've loved the horror movies. Just in general, uh, David, what is it about horror that started intriguing you, and, and, and how young were you when you jumped into that genre? Yeah, so I grew up in Kansas City and, um, you know, coming from a pretty conservative religious uh, community and background and household, for me, um, the, the, the subversity and the, the kind of um, forbiddenness of things like Halloween and um, horror movies, which were very, you know, kind of um, looked down upon in my house, was initially one of the early attractions. You're like, well, if they don't want me to do it, how come? And I mean, I was even like, I think I think at one point our house got so religious that Scooby Doo monsters were considered like potential like con- conduits for the devil. So like I was just like loving all of that stuff. Yeah. And something about werewolves as a young boy I would have these transformative nightmares that I was um a detective. This is a true story. I had these nightmares I was kind of like a Victorian setting and these are going way back. I was a very young boy coming down a flight of stairs and there was a werewolf in my fireplace who was transforming and needed my help. And I also had this dream that there was a little person, Frankenstein's monster, who lived in my closet that would come out. And they were these blends of dread and um, excitement that all of that nightmare life brought me. And I, I believe the seeds were most firmly planted by my first horror host, who also was my first crush in Kansas City. There was an incredible... Uh, Friday night um, series that was called Cremation Mortem's Friday Nightmare. And Cremation Mortem was our local uh, horror host on KSHB TV 41 in Kansas City back in the day. And uh, and I'll never forget, man, like the first time I watched one of the very first, if not the first full length horror movies I saw, I had snuck downstairs to the basement to, to watch this because um, I knew I in trouble was... Um, Oliver Reed in Curse of the Werewolf, the Hammer film classic. And it just (laughs) made me cry with fear and sorrow. The guy's performance is so incredible. 
And it's such a dark movie that's so uh, just cinematically gorgeous. And from that, I went down the rabbit hole. You name, you name it. I'm sure I saw everything on Cremacious, everything pre-1960, probably on Cremacious Friday Nightmare over the next eight years. Yeah. And um, so that's where it all kind of started, man. And then um, my love for horror comics grew out of me exploring the back issues at Clint's Comics in Kansas City. And then... Um, when when the Lost Boys came out, and I was in maybe fifth or sixth grade, and I remember those guys using horror comics as a way to like, yeah, kind of get info about. I thought this is so rad. Um, yeah. So yeah. Well, I you know it's funny that you meant because you know I think you and I have very similar uh, backgrounds in that. And when we discovered horror, I discovered it at maybe four. I, I became obsessed with it. And before uh, Rich was Fenguli, the original Fenguli here in Chicago was Jerry G. Bishop. Yep. Um, and that was my original Sven Like I was of that age. I was so I- obsessed with it. For me, it, it, it began with the Universal Monsters. And I, you know, yeah. you mentioned Famous Monsters magazine. I was obsessed with that. But my light now for you, it was it was uh, uh, werewolf. It was of course werewolf with uh, Oliver Reed. But Hammer changed my life because when I saw Horror of Dracula with uh. My, with uh, Christopher Lee and my fucking hero, my favorite person that has ever lived in the world, Peter Cushing, who I Peter have Cushing, man. Yeah. Um, I have a, I have a bust of Peter Cushing on my coffee table right now as we speak. Um it, it's it changed everything. Hammer, that movie, there it was, you know, cuz I had seen all the all the black and white stuff, but this was like Technicolor and and it had blood and boobs and I was like, God damn it, this is great. And yeah. I probably was five when I saw Horror of Dracula and there was no turning back, man. It was yeah. all done at that point. I will say, speaking of to my Chicago roots, uh, there's an actor who you know who I came up with. We both went to the theater school at DePaul University. We both started a theater company together. He appeared in my movie Animals. This one of the best actors I've ever watched work named John Hoganacker. Oh, yeah. John is yeah. a Chicago stalwart. I mean, one yep. of the best actors to come out of Chicago and I mean, he's kind of this like perfect blend of like Willem Dafoe and John Malkovich and and Michael Shannon. And and yet he's his own thing. But I've always I have this dream of John because we're very close friends and I we want to we're trying to find ways to work together and that we're going to get old together. And uh, I've never told John this, but I would love I'd love like a, a a chapter of our careers where John is like the Peter Cushing of 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 a certain maybe studio or cinema you know movement, and I get to be the Christopher Lee, and the two of us uh, can be old men making wonderful yeah, that's, uh, dramatic horror films together. Well, I would watch that, and you know the Chicago the <laughs> Chicago theater scene, uh, David. It's so nice to come back. I mean, my I was with the Factory Theater for. I guess such six, a great theater company 16 yeah. years yeah. i was ad yeah. i was ad there i directed a whole bunch of shit and wrote a bunch of stuff and appeared in a bunch of stuff there um and i've worked with a lot of people that you work with david i've gotten to act with a lot of people that you've worked with and, and uh it, it's been it's well amazing. i'm trying to i want to say i'm planting the seeds now so everybody who believes in putting out the good energy man i've written an adaptation of something that i think would find a really great home for its launch in chicago my home theater company in chicago i had two companies i was a a member of one was called caffeine theater which is a micro storefront Mm -hmm. company we did a lot of you know lit based theater and sadly that company shuttered about 10 years ago and then Mm -hmm. shattered globe theater which has now been a, a you know a mainstay of the storefront theater scene for decades i am still uh, an ensemble member with Shattered Globe, and I love Shattered Globe. In fact, I usually host our um, Ghost Light Soiree as a fundraiser, which we're not doing this year, sadly. And that's a kind of Halloween themed um, 
fundraiser. But I, yeah, I don't know how it's going to happen, but I'm putting it out there to the universe and all the Chicago deep dish pizza gods that I get to come back and put up this play in the very near future. Cause I think, um, I, I think Chicago would embrace it. It's it's going to be a hard play to put up really anywhere else because yeah. it's pretty rough and, and yeah, sweaty. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, but yeah, it's yeah. like if she, if anybody could take it, it's Chicago. That's right. Uh, well, yeah, uh, we go on and on again. You and I have mi- millions of people that we've crossed paths with and worked with. By the way, you know who is a regular on my show is the wonderful, the lovely, my future ex-wife Dana DiLorenzo. Lorenzo. God, a, the best, yeah, the best amazing. man. She, I mean, I you know I love Dana. She's my sister. Yeah. We are, um, we're, we're bound for life. We also, we fight like cats and dogs. Not really. We fake yeah. fight like cats and dogs, but I think it makes people uncomfortable sometimes around us. My wife, uh, who is like the, the, the ref between us, it's the funniest dynamic. <laughs> we have this, uh, we have so many ridiculous stories, but one of my favorites is, you know, me getting scolded by Dana. We, we were out for a fancy dinner one night and she's pointing the giant, crab leg claw at my face um i don't know man she's a special and 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 i tell you what when it comes to dana d2 i somebody's got to put us in a tv show or movie together i don't know what it is but i feel like we it sparks would freaking fly i feel like we could totally you know i can see that gina Rollins, john cassavetes yeah Sparks flying craziness. I'll be, you know, I'll be Peter Falk. I mean, I'm not as good an actor as him, but I could, I want, I want sparks flying crazy drama or a horror or a comedy, whatever it is. I got to get into something with Dana. When when Dana and I first met, sparks flew and we became fast, fast and furious. And uh, she's amazing. And anytime I get to, I get to have her on, you know, whenever I had her on my show back in the day on GN and, and and had her on the podcast. Anytime she comes to town, it's always a blast. She rules, and uh, we and she's accepted the fact that she is my future ex-wife. We know we're going to get married and divorced at some point, so that's going to. Yeah, she's my she's my wife's future ex-wife. She's my future ex-wife. She's your future ex-wife, <laughs> Nick. What Dana? What are you doing? Yeah, uh, exactly. My God, I love her. Yeah, she's, yeah, she's a sister for life, and to my kids, she's Auntie Dana, and Aww, um, she's that's like, great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's she's over as often as you know. We, I mean, during the pandemic, it's an interesting thing that I, I know happened with you as well. We all went through major life transformations, and we yeah. all grew into, you know, in, in huge ways. And um, it really forced us to evaluate and reevaluate and reevaluate who we are. What are we doing? And um, the people that we, you know, really clung to and brought close to us. Dana is one of those people. She really helped me get through. Uh, some hard times, man. And she's one yeah. of those friends that'll be there for you. Agreed. You know, I lost my mom in um, Sorry, man. July yeah. of 2020. Thanks, man. It was the night I was hosting a virtual gathering of horror hosts from across the country. And I even had Rich doing this really cool thing message for us. And uh, it was an important night for me because I was trying to rise above the the misery of of everything that was happening in our country in the pandemic. And and, and it all went wrong. You know, with these tech things, the yeah, whole live yeah. stream crapped the bed. We lost the feed. I had all these people trying to watch that couldn't watch it. I was devastated. We finally tr- kind of figured out something to do by putting it on Facebook Live. But at that point, you know, I was really, you know. And then I sit down and I get the call. That oh, my mother man. has just passed away very um, tragically and, and out of the blue. And one of the very first people to call me and be there for me was Dana. And we bonded about loss and surviving and, um, 
And I, I wouldn't have made it through without her, man. So I'm, yeah. I, I love that we have that connection. Maybe we could both come on at some point. That would be a blast. Yeah. I'll, hey, listen, I, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, no question about it. I will talk because I, I, I text back and forth to Dana pretty regularly. And we're, I mean, we're buddies. And so, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So uh, I, I, I'm taking up too much time. But I, you know what? I forgot. Every time we've mentioned Rich, I've not, I've not played this. Berwin. I can't believe it. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, dude. I, I got to tell you guys, I did a movie recently. Yeah. And we'll see if it makes final cut. But the directors who were so awesome, you guys, I mean, I cannot wait for you to see this movie. I shot in um I shot in Australia a film that's actually set in New York City in the 1970s. And it's a um a film that could be or it's it's an exorcist film, or is it? You don't really know is <laughs> and it's a fantastic journey through one night on live broadcast television as my character. Um, Jack Delroy is trying to save his show, which is about to get canceled because we are so far behind the Carson show in second place that the network is ready to ax us. And so I try to pull out all the stops one Halloween uh, episode to to basically get crazy ratings, no matter what the cost. And slowly my... (laughs) my brain starts to go crazy places and it's a it's it's one of the most fun and i've had some freaking fun shoots in the last couple of years as you know from dune to suicide squad to getting to work on last voyage of the demeter which is an adaptation of stoker's dracula right. to working on stephen king the adaptation of stephen king's the boogeyman uh being in the boston strangler i got to work with chris nolan again on his incredible opus that i can't wait for people to see called oppenheimer, oppenheimer. Yeah, yeah and then i went yeah i go to australia and i make the movie which is a blend of horror drama it's a period piece you don't know what's happening it's like network meets the exorcist what and <laughs> i can't tell you how excited i am for this but i will say that the directors um colin and cameron karens who are just the bet they're menches and they're horror hounds and they're monster kids. And this is their dream. They've been working on this film forever. Um, I'm so glad they let me play their, 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 their Jack Delroy. And, uh, and I did there's, there's, there may or may not be a, a reference to our friend, uh, when you see the film, but I, I, I got, you got to wait till you see final cut. That's the thing about these things. It's like, you try something yeah, yeah, and yeah, it, yeah. it works, but you just don't know until you see, uh, right. when it's all cut together, but yeah. no matter what, Everybody listening, when that film comes out, and I don't know where or when that film will be coming out. It's called Late Night with the Devil. It's I, I'm so excited for it, man. Oh, I'm great, excited. great. All right, so and we may hear Berwin. at some point. <laughs> yeah. so, uh, David, are you familiar? I have an old friend who comes out during the holiday, uh, during the Halloween season for me. Uh, that for years on my radio show, and I've brought him to my podcast. Are you familiar with Count Farchula? Who doesn't love Count Farchula, man? Let me quickly, I'm going to be Count Chocula for a Halloween costume this year, but Count, Count Farchula well, is here's a, Count, here's, a whole look, other evolution. He likes to jump in. <laughs> Open the coffin. Let me out. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that will live forever, too. There you go. So was that the squeaky bats up in my belfry? Or maybe yeah, I just yeah. ate too many of the refried beans last night. I don't know. About, I think it was maybe 12 years ago. <laughs> I was at a Walgreens, and I walked up and down the aisle, and I saw these goddamn things where you squeeze the finger. There's Fartenstein, and there's oh, Count Farchula. So and I was good. standing there for 20 minutes, and the people at Wal- the, the, the employees at Walgreens were like, would you leave, please? Just leave. <laughs> 
<laughs> so that's the only way to experience Walgreens is being asked to leave for <laughs> inciting a, a obscene fart experience. That's exactly. the only way. I'm telling um, you, we're running we're running quick here, but I want to Count Crowley. Tell everybody about Count Crowley, the so, books, and you and you yes. got some new stuff coming out. Please tell everybody about Count Crowley. Thanks, guys. Uh, if you're listening and you like comics, you like horror, please get down to your favorite comic shop um, wherever you live. If you've got a comic shop that's near you, you got to go and support local comic shops. First and foremost, I got to say that because it's so important to keep these brick and mortar stores alive because they're so much more than just a place to go buy comics. It's a whole community and an experience, and it's a great way to learn about artists and art and writers that you never heard of before. So if you go to your local comic shop, and you ask them for Count Crowley. Uh, what's really fun about where we're going with Count Crowley, I've been making it now for a couple of years with Dark Horse Comics, the story of a late night horror host who finds out that her embarrassing to her job of, of introducing old bad horror movies actually comes with a great responsibility. The guy that she replaced who has gone missing was one of the last appointed monster hunters. And this right. woman, Jerry Bartman, take a little cue on that last name she uh goes deep and she realizes that the only way she's going to be able to protect her brother who she loves and his family and the people she cares about is by a getting sober and b um figuring out how to stop things like zombies which we call bilatombia in the series and vampires and werewolves it's very um a lot of homage to the classic monsters of yore like you said you're a fan of the universal stuff and the design and the look of these uh, monsters and the way that the comic comes together, I owe such a great debt to my artist, Lucas Kettner, who yeah. has created something that feels like a blend of, you know, Mad Magazine, Universal Monsters, and yet it's really can push some bounds when it comes to to the splattering gore. And, and uh, so now, yeah, we're into our second volume, which means the newest arc of stories. It was originally when it started called Count Crowley, Reluctant Midnight Monster Hunter. Now it's called Count Crowley, amateur midnight monster Ooh. hunter because she's moving up the ranks and this month the month of october we did a special crossover event where my character has an intersection and there may be a cameo you guys if you're you've got to go see got to get your hands on this book there may be a cameo that i think a lot of you are going to be excited about but basically steve niles who's a brilliant writer he wrote 30 days of night amongst many other incredible mm. books mm -hmm. um Steve Niles has a long-running series called Criminal Macabre. His hero, Cal, is an alcoholic monster hunter. My hero, Jerry, is an alcoholic monster hunter. So we thought, why not have them crash into each other oh, while they're both pursuing a monster? So yeah. that is a one-shot, which means it's just one issue, special, standalone comic. It comes yeah. this month. Oh, and, man. Um, and then my latest arc of yeah. Mount Crowley will resolve yeah. At the end of the month so if you can't get it at your local comic shop you could definitely order them online um and i'm very excited nick because there is the potential reality of this story continuing into other mediums um fans have been incredible and for me it is the dream job writing about you know creatures of the night while wrestling with some of the bigger issues that really mean a lot to me and you yeah. Well, listen, uh, uh, David, I, I wish you all the luck in the world. Are there websites and all that stuff where people can go for Count Crowley and, yeah, you, and, and, yes, and, and any projects that you're doing? 
Absolutely. If you go to, um, there's a, a Count Crowley official Instagram, uh, as well as a Facebook page, and you can get all the info there. Uh, you can also hit my uh, Instagram, which is just my last name, Dest Malchin. And I'm, it probably drive people crazy because I'm so, every time Lucas sends me a new piece of art, I'm posting it like a madman because it's just so good. But yeah. I will, um, I will uh, hopefully someday get to do a live show with you at Zany's and we'll oh. do it with Bobcat. I yeah. will get to do a show with you at Dana and then you and I could do a Dune deep dive and a famous monsters deep dive at some point. So Excellent. let's um, yeah. keep talking. But man, thanks for doing the show. Thank you for picking back up the mantle, grabbing your microphone and sharing your, your voice and your passion with people all over. Because I mean it, dude. It's so I talk to so many people about this stuff and so many people don't really have a vested interest in it the way that you do. And it makes, um, it, it means a lot to me when I know yeah. how much you care. And I'm just so glad you've got the show. Thanks dude. I really appreciate it. And, I, and on a personal note, man, you're a big inspiration for me in the world of sobriety. I just want you to know that. Oh man. So, well, I, well, thank you. We got each other. We lift each yes. other up, support each other. And, uh, that's how we can enjoy these moments. Right. Thanks buddy. And, and, I, and I'll talk to you soon and, and I'll get Dana on the line. The next time we, next time you do the podcast, how about me, you, Dana, and we go nuts. Oh, it's going to be nuts. Just get the ready with that, uh, sensor beat. Button, Are you kidding? Okay? We can say anything you want, buddy. You know that. Dave, I love you, man. Happy and, Halloween. Uh, Happy Halloween and uh, have a great Halloween. And we're looking forward to Oppenheimer coming out next year and all the Count Crowley stuff. David, always a pleasure, my friend. Thank you very much. Much love. Talk okay. To you soon. All right. David Desmalcha uh, uh, has, has, has joined us. And uh, we're going to move on and now and talk to uh, the great Esmeralda Leon right now. Esmeralda. Yeah. Esmeralda Leon. Yeah. Esma. I'm talking about that Esma. Esmeralda Leon, yeah. Esmeralda, yeah, yeah. Esmeralda Leon, yeah, yeah. Get yourself some Esmeralda. Love me some Esmeralda. Esmeralda, Esmeralda Leon. Every time we hear that wonderful theme by the great Jason Skaggs out of Houston, you can check him out on Facebook and Patreon. Um, and uh, by the way, he's going to be a guest on the podcast soon. I'm going to tell you about that in a second. As soon as I introduce the great Esmeralda Leon. Hi, Esmeralda. Hello. Hey, you know, I enjoy doing the For the People podcast, but I don't enjoy that you're not on it. I always Aww. miss you. I always miss you. I'll um I'll come onto the porch with uh. You'll, with oh wait a minute! Wait, I I can I I, I can help. Hold on! Wait a minute! Hi, I'm Carrie Russell, and I love Hi. Nick's show. Oh, you know what cool you should? If I come to the porch, Carrie. Hi, I'm Carrie Russell, and <laughs> I love okay. Nick's show. Carrie, is it okay Hi, if she? I'm Carrie Russell, yeah. and All right. I, I love Nick's so... show. Anyway, Esmeralda wants to come on. I am Carrie Russell, all right. and I, I love okay, Nick's show. Okay, all right, Carrie. By the way, oh, I we'll guess you can. Again later. I, I guess <laughs> you can because she's holding an extra lawn chair for you. Oh, oh there right. you go. And she says. Hi, I'm Carrie Russell, yeah. and I love Nick's show. <laughs> we tried. I go stay other. I'm like, so, Carrie, what do you uh, what do you do out here? Hi, I'm what Carrie I... Russell, and I love Nick's show. It might not be the most stimulating conversation you ever have, Esmeralda. I'll tell you. Okay, thank you, Carrie. All right, then. Oh, yeah. I'm starting yeah, to think, like, what, what, that's, what? that's not the real Carrie Russell, right? No, no, like, it no, is. No, it is. Like I wouldn't lie. of her. No, I wouldn't <laughs> like lie. A... Like a uh, body snatcher, she was. A, it's a pod person. Oh no, I'm thinking more like um, what's that? 
what's that movie? Uh, oh my god, this is terrible because it's a very popular Which movie one? that everyone loves. Um, with Harrison Ford and Sean Blade Runner, Young and replicant. Blade Runner. Yeah, she's I'm a replicant. Thinking very replicant. Oh, <laughs> uh, she might be a replicant. Yeah, she might be. <laughs> she doesn't uh, know. <laughs> she doesn't. Oh yeah, the poor girl does not know. Like Sean Young did not know. She mm -hmm. did not know. Oh, I love that movie so much. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, man, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, man. Yeah. So uh, that's Jason Skaggs who provides those voices. Mm-hmm. And we got a uh, 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 an email. Um, no, a, vo a voicemail from someone who was like, hey, you know, you always talk about Jason Skaggs, the stuff that he does, the, the you know, the, the, the music, the themes, the, mm -hmm. you know, this it's kind of... It's All of that stuff, the commercial that yeah. he did for, that's all Jason. All of the themes that you hear for the guests, the regular guests, the opening theme, the closing theme, the congratulations theme, that's all Jason. And people you know, were like, hey, you know, it would be nice to have him on. And so we're, I'm going to interview him, and it'll be on episode 84 on uh, November fourth, Jason Skaggs nice. will be interviewed on uh, on the next on the episode eighty four. Jason Skaggs, uh, and he had he's had an amazing radio career. He'll talk about where he's been, what he's done across the country, all over the place, how he got hired at the car wash at GN, and mm -hmm. who hired him. You know, Kevin mm -hmm. Matheny hired him. You know that uh, pig vomit hired him. Oh. And uh, so there's a story. <laughs> there's a story behind that. Um, and so we'll get all of that. So yes, Jason is going to be—he's uh, going to be with us. A full interview with Jason. And Very the rum cool. rumor has it that he might be flying in from Houston for our live podcast event at Zanies mm, in Rosemont. Don't don't have that confirmed yet, right? But there's a possibility. And speaking of which, Esmeralda—I mean, I mean, this is going to be so exciting, so great. We got a month, and you know, a little over a month to plug it. Um, but it's Tuesday, November fifteenth at Zanies in Rosemont. It's the Nick D Podcast Live. You, me, on stage. I mean, this is going to be a blast, right? Yeah, of course. Yeah. One, it's at Zany's yep. in Rosemont. Yep. So you can get there quite easily. Yep. Park and all over the place. Other, other things to do so you don't have to be like, well, I need to eat dinner. You can eat dinner. That's right. There's dinner. <laughs> yep. And there's, there's outdoor music usually. And mm -hmm. uh, if you want to go to a bar afterwards or see some music, live, live music afterwards, because you're going to be out by 930. Right, so you can make a night of it. I know it's exactly. a Tuesday, but come on. Yep. Uh, <laughs> Zanies and Rosemont. On Wednesday. <laughs> the Nick, just take it off. Take the take, take the, the day. day. <laughs> Call in sick for Christ's sake. Uh, so it's the Nick D podcast live. Esmeralda and I on stage. We're going to be telling some some fun stories and being really funny and hilarious. And we'll have some interactive stuff with the audience. We want you guys to be a part of it. Uh, my my dad's going to be there, and I think I can it's convince so him to fun. to get up on stage and tell a couple of jokes live. Um, and I believe Jason Skaggs might be there live to do all of the music intro actually with mu instruments live. Um, and we're going to have a special uh, surprise guest. We've got uh, prizes to give away, some really cool stuff. It's just going to be a blast, and you can be a part of it. We're going to record it, and it's going to be all over the place, all over the Internet the next day. So a live Nick D podcast event, Tuesday, November 15th, Rosemont, uh, Zanies in Rosemont. Uh, the tickets are on sale now. Get your tickets now. You can go to rosemont.zanies.com, uh, or you can call the box office at uh, Zanies in Rosemont at 847-813-0484, 847-813-0484, and say, I want tickets to the Nick D Podcast Live for Tuesday, November 15th at Zanies. Let's sell that place out. Let's pack it. It's going to be fun. I'm really looking forward to it. And I know you and I are going to have a blast. It'll be fun. Oh, for sure. Very and I think exciting. I think we might do just a little chunk of it. Might be like kind of a greatest hits stories that you and I have told. Mm -hmm. Just a chunk of it, you mm -hmm. know, that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So we'll see. Anyway, mm -hmm. 
It'll be fun. Um, all right. Another thing I wanted to catch up on, you know, we get emails and voicemails and we encourage you, uh, you know, if you're going to come out to Zany's, leave us a message saying, yes, we're going to be there. Any other things that you want to, to contribute to the uh, podcast, our voicemail is 24-7. It's open 24-7 for you. 773-417-6948. 773-417-6948. Leave your voicemail message or drop us an email with anything you want to say. NickDPodcast at gmail.com. Here is a voicemail that we received. Uh, Esmeralda, in connection with one of the things we were talking about the last time, uh, last week, when, when, when you and mm-hmm. I were together, about mm-hmm. reboots and spinoffs that suck, you know? <laughs> mm, yes, yes. <laughs> and, uh, and so we, had, we have some people who had sent some emails, and this, this is a voicemail that we got from a, from a subscriber, and I thought this one was definitely uh, worth uh, listening to. Here we go. Hi, Nick. This is Alfredo de Dark. I usually text or email, but this time I thought I'd give you a call. On your uh, podcast number 74, you were asking, who do you want to see on Battle of the Network Stars if they brought it back? And I thought Mark Harmon from NCIS would be a good choice. Mark Harmon is very athletic. He actually played quarterback for UCLA, so he'd be a good choice for Battle of the Network Stars. Um, segue to your next podcast, you were talking about spinoffs. A lot of people forget that NCIS was a spinoff of the TV show JAG. And I think JAG ran nine or ten years or so. And uh, my wife and I watched JAG for a while. We really didn't like it very much, so we decided to turn JAG off. That's all I got. Bye, Nick. <laughs> Uh man, come on, right? I mean, I thought I for a second I thought he was going to mention um oh my goodness, what's his name? The Santo? Uh, yeah. Santo? Yeah. Because anytime I see anything that has to do with Jag, that's all I think of. I know. Larry Jag? Is it yeah. about for people Larry who, Jag? For, for people who might not know when WGN the car wash, that stupid ass radio station, used to broadcast the Cub games. We used to do a segment on my show called the Pat and Ron Show when Ron uh, uh, Santo and Pat Hughes used to do the play-by-play um, radio uh, broadcasts of all the Cub games. And, uh, you know, it was always hilarious to listen to those guys in the booth. And Ron would always just go off on tangents. And so we would play highlights. Mm-hmm. And one of the highlights was Ron was obsessed with the show Jag. He mm-hmm. loved it. And uh, one of the reasons he loved it, and this is something that Ron and I have in common, is that he was hot for Catherine Bell, as I am. <laughs> um, and one of the reasons he watched it was because, hey, Catherine Bell, oh, man. You know, and he and I, I believe, have the same sort of taste in women. Uh, <laughs> and he was just, like, all over Catherine Bell and would watch the show. And we were talking about that. And then uh, because the show was called Jag, Pat Hughes thought it was hilarious that there was a show called Jag. <laughs> And he's like, uh, and he would always bring it up just to make fun of Ron. You know what I mean? Because nobody really, I mean, that show was on for 10. You know those shows, Esmeralda, that are on for like 15 years, but you don't know anyone who watches them? Right. I feel (laughs) those are like, uh, because like, where was Jack? Was Jack on CBS? Yes, it was. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So CBS, USA, like those stations (laughs) seem to have shows that just are on. I mean, yeah. somebody has to be watching them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, seriously. You know, I mean, you look at that, like, like She's the Sheriff was on for, like, seven seasons. Who the fuck watched She's the like, Sheriff? what? Yeah. Yeah. So Jag is one of those shows, and Jag was on for, like, eight, nine seasons. Um, and it, I mean, I, you know, like, I never knew why people watched it and, until I, I remember this. I Specifically, I was at the Jewels in, in Andersonville when I lived up in Andersonville on Clark. Mm-hmm. 
and I was at the Jewel, and I was waiting in line, and they had, you know, the magazine rack by the Jewel, you know, your, your, impulse, mm-hmm. your impulse purchases. Yes. And they had one of those uh, Stuff or Maxim or FHM, you know what I mean, one of those magazines. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Catherine Bell was on the cover, and I went, "Holy shit!" You know, and I, <laughs> I and I flipped through, and I looked at her little uh, her little spread in uh, in the uh, in the in the magazine. I was like, "Oh, now I know why people want." Oh, now <laughs> now I know exactly. Like, maybe oh, I should start that Now maybe I should start watching the show because <laughs> Catherine Bell is unbelievably hot, and so like that's one of the reasons why Ron watched it. He talked about it in the booth. And then, as you mentioned, uh, he would always bring it up, and, Larry, and he would ask questions. Like uh, uh, Pat would ask questions, like, "So, was the guy's name Jag? Was it? Was it like? Was his name Larry Jag? <laughs> Larry Jag? Larry that, that Jag. just kills me. And I think I of know. it to this day. Yep. For some reason, I keep seeing things about Jag. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And anytime I think of that, Larry Jag. Thing. <laughs> and then Ron would get mad. No, his name wasn't Larry Jag. You know, like that was Ron would. Get mad. <laughs> Oh my god! So anyway, uh, nice little, uh, nice little joke there at the end by that. Uh, by yeah, our that was Alf- good. Alfredo, very nice, very it was nice. It's a very so. um, your dad's level. It was, and he set it up beautifully. That's a, yes. you tee you tee it up, very and you got to be you got to be able to knock it out of the park. So, exactly. I like um, that. So so you know it's October, Esmeralda, mm-hmm. and that's Halloween time. It's my favorite month of the year uh, because mm-hmm. I love I love fall and I love the weather and I love all October. And, and everybody, you know, over the past, like, five, ten years now, it's become very, very popular to just talk about nothing but horror movies every day now. All the networks. It's a right. big thing now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so we have to embrace it. You know, the, you know, the, the, um, the, the horathon that we used to do, um, the spooktacular mm-hmm. uh, that we used to do at the car wash, we're going to kind of do that a little bit with each episode. So I thought I'd bring this guy out. Uh, yes. yes. Very spooky. Sink <laughs> your teeth into that. Oh, wait a minute. That will live forever, too. Yeah. Open the coffin. Let me out. Right. <laughs> I think that's Why my favorite. Why is he one. so. I think, I mean, I think it's funny that he says that because it's his own scent. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. It's not like it's right. like what what's wrong with it, man? He's just, he, that's yours. I, I think the problem <laughs> is that that night I believe he sucked the blood out of somebody who just hit a late night Taco Bell. I think Ooh, that's what happened. Okay, I see. I think that's what happened. Uh, I mean, that's so. what happens. You got to watch what you eat, sir. <laughs> yes, you do. You got to. <laughs> and it's at night, too. He can only come out at night. Count Farchula can only come out at night. True. And Ooh, that's yeah. when a lot of drunk people are at drive throughs It's a mm-hmm. really, you know, mm-hmm. some, some drunk guy in the, in the drive through waiting for his food. An easy target. You can just get in there and bite him and go away. Yeah, exactly. So, um, so I recently came upon uh, learning that, um, and I think of this because of Count, Far- Count Farchula. Mm-hmm. of the term spoopy. spoopy have you heard of this word yeah s s p s p o o p y yes like snoopy Sp- but no with a p no a, a p instead of an n right spoopy okay so spoopy it's internet slang essentially it started on the internet but it describes uh cute silly versions of scary things so like ghosts and skeletons but they have to look a certain way so, like, the way that Count Farchula looks and the things he says, very spoopy. Though that falls under the category of spoopy. Yeah. He's spoopy. I got it. 
He is very spoopy. Okay. Uh, dog in a in a sheet, dressed as a ghost. Right. Spoopy. So just, uh, you know, as yeah. you're going through this uh, Halloween season, every time you see cute, like, cutesy, silly, scary yeah. things, it's so, spoopy. So, so the little trinkets and stuff that you see in the aisle at Walgreens, that's spoopy, most of them. It's spoopy, yes. Yeah. The okay. kids would so, call it spoopy. So this is how... Look into my eyes. Gotcha. That's spoopy. Very, very spoopy. <laughs> very spoopy. And then also, I just saw this um, today, and it, again, Count Farchula. Um, what do you, do you think that Count, the Count from Sesame Street is a vampire? Um, I would hope so. I mean, he's got fangs. Uh, well, so apparently, um, they talked about it on some other, I don't know, some other people were talking about it, um, but he isn't. According to like Sesame Street guides, like internal documents. He is vampire. Wait, wait, wait. wait. Uh, hold on. Hold, hold on. <laughs> what, what are Sesame Street's internal documents? What is, the, what is you know, that? Like, like they, they must, they have to have like things that, that like tell you what the characters are, like their specific, you know so, what I mean? Like, yeah, but like bios and background. Okay. And, okay. Yeah. Right. Because, Think about it, like when someone, because uh, unfortunately, someone cannot always be the voice of every character or yeah. of a certain character, maybe. And you know, people come in um, and train and and become those characters. So they have to have, I would think, a little like bio guidelines as sure. to what motivation background yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly yeah yeah. yeah 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 so for count so he's not a vampire if you, well if you google it his name is count von count yes i, I knew that. that yes i knew I that. Didn't count, know that yep count uh, von count. Uh, apparently according to sesame street he is vampire like <laughs> so he's not even uh <laughs> I mean, I guess you can't really have him be like, yeah, no, you, he sucks the blood out of people. No, you, he can't kill people. I mean, he can't, like, you know, suck, you know, like, he's not going to suck Oscar's oh. blood, drain. you know, he's not going to drain the blood out of Oscar. You know what I mean? Like, that's not going to But that's happen. what I mean. So, like, they can't really be saying he's a vampire. I see. Yeah, because I mean, I, gu- I guess. if he is, then he has to be sucking somebody's blood I out. mean, I guess, mo- you know, Sesame Street, doesn't Sesame Street, don't the episodes of Sesame Street, for the most part, take place during the day? Don't they take place during daytime? Yeah, that too. There you go. He can't be out. I mean, you know, you know, unless he's got like a very strong sunscreen. Well, I think. I mean, vampire-like. I mean, I guess yeah. he's got other things mixed. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, it's just the vampire is very strong in there. The vampire likeness. Right. Okay, vampire-like, um, but he's not really maybe a vampire. He's like Blade. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because Blade, uh, uh, yeah, Blade could go out. He's half. He's half yeah, human. He's half, he's half human, half vampire. That's a good so, point. Yeah, and they changed the day. They change the rules for vampires a lot in movies. You know what I mean? Like they they, they play very hard and fast with. Their, they don't play very hard. They don't play hard and fast. They very 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 loose with uh, tight and fast and very loose with the with the with the vampire lore in movies where they just make really? shit up. You now. think so? Oh, modern, yes. Huh. Modern vampires. Like, goddamn, the, the, the stupid-ass Twilight movies, they don't follow the... Vampires don't, I mean, shouldn't and fucking just, sparkle. I mean, what? Yeah, but maybe they're just a subspecies of, like, a different... You know what I mean? Like, yeah. 
you know, we, humans, humans come in all different shapes and sizes and colors. And right. Well, I mean, animals are different. Like within their own species, there are different. Well, types. it's like it's like so why wouldn't um, vampires? Well, it's it, it. This happens in all the sub genres of horror, though, Esmeralda. People come in and they make different stuff and they change the rules. Like there are nine million different rules for zombies uh, that that apply right. to just different movies. Like in one movie, it only they only eat brains. Like in Revenge of the uh, Revenge of the uh, Return of the Living Dead, they only eat brains, mm-hmm. which is not the case. Real zombies that George Romero, you know, created, they eat yeah the the, the whole body. They eat not just brains. But then they also like throw. It's because they always. I think also with that they throw in stuff where it's like it was a disease that started it. And well, they consider those zombies right. Well, here's the, t- the and again I go through this goddamn thing, uh, this explanation. Every day. The, the the creatures <laughs> in in 28 days later are not zombies. They are not zombies. They right. are infected people. The technical uh, definition of a zombie is someone who dies dead and comes back to life. In 28 mm, days okay. later, in 28 days later, they do not die. They get infected with this disease, so they're not zombies. So, I mean, if you want to be technical about it, they are not zombies. And, and in my opinion, I, I do not enjoy fast zombies. Like, they, they, that's right. another thing that's I do not. And, and by the way, uh, just to let you know, neither did George Romero. George Romero hated fast zombies and, and the fact that, they, that movies were being made with fast zombies. And in yeah. fact... In fact, I mean, and, and by the way, if George Romero says it's not good, then you that's not an opinion. You know what I mean? Like it's fucking George <laughs> Romero. The man so, invented. He invented the genre. So and he so used to like sell. Train, so like train to Busan, don't they? Do they die? They run. Oh, yeah. Fast as hell. Uh, and, but they and, run uh, crazy fast. Yes. Yeah. Crazy fast. And uh, World War Z. Crazy fast. Um, and the but remake the thing is they just run. Yeah. Do you notice that they always just run at something and they don't, you know, I mean, they're zombies. Yeah. They don't have any like, whoa, I'm running too fast. Let me not yeah. hit this wall. They just run right into the wall. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that and that became a thing. And also, like, you know, um, Zack Snyder uh, uh, remade Dawn of the Dead. And mm-hmm. in that remake, the zombies are fast. And I remember asking George about this. Uh, and he's like, no, uh, no. I, I, I thought the remake. He And, and again, and I know. I like the remake of Dawn of the Dead. It's not near. It's not in the same vicinity or ballpark as George Romero's, but yeah. I liked it. I thought it was fun. Um, but I'm not a fan of. of and, and and in fact, George came used to come to the Flashback Weekend convention. He came, I think, three or four times to Flashback, and mm-hmm. you know, one of my heroes, and it was amazing. Um, but at his merch table, he would sell mm-hmm. T-shirts that said on the front, "Fast zombies suck," and on the back. <laughs> Slow zombies rule, and I have two of those T-shirts. Nice. <laughs> so, so when the Godfather, the creator of the zombie genre, doesn't disagrees with things, then you you must uh, you know you must think accordingly because that, right. that's the way it goes. So I also I think because in a lot of the movies now they acknowledge zombies, mm-hmm. like they acknowledge zombie movies. Like I yeah. just watched, I just watched a Korean drama on Netflix called All of Us Are Dead. Yes, uh, I've seen and it. And they acknowledge because they're like, wait, yeah. are these zombies like the ones in the movie? Right. Like, they know what zombies right. are. Right. Um, and it's funny because like that self-referential stuff has become, the, it's meta. I mean, that's a thing now, Esmeralda. It's huge mm-hmm. to acknowledge all of that stuff. It's very Scream-like. You know what I mean? Like in Scream, they acknowledge right. slasher movies and all that. 
and it be and it's in and it's a it, and again talking about horror movies, it is a, a subgenre unto itself. Is like being a meta horror movie, acknowledging the characters and the cliches, um, and even to a certain extent, um, you know what uh, Edgar Wright and Simon Pegg and those guys did with the Cornetto trilogy. Those movies acknowledge the other movies, like Hot Fuzz talks about Point Break. Um, and all of the, you know, the stuff that you see in Die Hard and all that. And then it mm, does it all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah. And Shaun of the Dead, you know what I mean? So, so Right, right, so, right, right. Yeah. And that, you can do that well. And Shaun of the Dead, I think, and Shaun of the Dead is not only a great comedy and a great, I think it's a great, you know, it's, a, it's a zom rom-com. It's a zombie romantic comedy. <laughs> yes. And, and I think it works on that level. But it's also just really seriously a great zombie movie. Like it really is seriously, in, in addition to being a satire, it's also like seriously a terrific zombie movie, uh, so it can be done. Um, but yeah, I, and but the fast zombie thing, and I and I am always like people are like why are you being so you know like when I when I have a friend who he was just like no uh, twenty eight days later they're fucking zombies I'm like no they're not man, and then he gets he's like oh you're just a geek and I'm like no I said that but I said it was a zombie it's like well because just because you said it sir well yeah but I'm trying to explain to you that a zombie is of the living dead. They die. They're they're right. dead, and they come back to life, and they're dead. But they're dead. They're the living dead. In twenty eight days later, they don't die. They get infected. It's mm-hmm. like okay, if somebody, let's say somebody gets rabies. Are they dead? No, they have rabies. You know, <laughs> <laughs> Seems pretty simple to me. I don't know. Are you a fan of zombie? So. Are you a fan of zombie movies, Esmeralda? Um, yeah, I actually I like zombie movies better than most movies. So your favorite maybe like if you, horror movies, right? So your favorite genre, man. This is why you and I get along so well, as Marvel. I'll, like I'll watch. Like I've watched Dawn of the Dead, like the original, and I feel like I watched something else. Oh, the one with where they're in the big high rise with um, your favorite Dennis Hopper. No, the the the, the zombie that like starts to realize like he's the <laughs> he's the um. You mean Bub? Yeah, right. Well, is that's Bubba Day of the, the Dead. But Day of the Dead is the military one when they're in the when they're in the underground uh, military complex. Right, and the he, high rise, the high rise one he is essentially the... like figures out stuff. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. He that's rallies Bubba. the zombies well, together. Well, like... this is the well. If you're, you because I mean, here's the thing, there's a progression in in Romero's movies where the zombies get smarter. Um, yeah. As the as the movies go on, by Land of the Dead. Um, um, the, 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 lead zombie, uh, was, was a guy who used to be a gas station attendant and he leads the zombies to attack a high rise. Yes. That's land that of the one. dead. That's the one I've seen. That's, that's land the of the one dead. I've seen. That zombie is named Big Daddy. <laughs> <laughs> that's Big Daddy. He's different than Bub. Bub is in okay. Day of the Dead. Day is, he's in okay. Day of the Dead. Bub is the guy who learns how to use a gun, who salutes and, you know, they're, yeah. you know. Where's oh, the wow. Walkman and hears music for the first time? It's a beautiful moment, <laughs> and and all and and as the as you know they progress, the zombie movies progress from night through day through dawn to land. Um, I find that for me, the the characters that identify that I identify with the most are the zombies. They're the, they become the protagonists. I mean, yeah, <laughs> and that's of the course. point. That you know, that's the point that Romero's trying to make is like they are us. You know, humans um, are awful people, and not only that, but like we love <laughs> to like in, in 1979 when you know I mean 78 technically, but 79 when it finally came out, Dawn of the Dead. Um, he satirized and talked about mall culture, and malls weren't even huge at that time in 1978. Yeah. 
Um, and but the, but you know what? We are like zombies. It's like let's go to the mall. Let's go to the food court. Let's go here. <laughs> and that's what that movie's about. It's about consumerism and materialism and you know it's disguised as a gory horror movie but in in fact it's a really smart satire about america and that's what romero does he was an american satirist i think on the level of will rogers and those guys you know what i mean i think he was that good so but in that you know that's another thing is like it proves that you, not all horror movies are dumb and uh, i don't know but yeah. i love the fact that i love the fact that you drew you're bringing up the train to Passan movie i mean you know, that's fucking awesome. I like, I like those. That... I like zombie movies. Like if, if there's a horror movie genre, I would rather watch a zombie movie. I'm so with you. Zombie uh, or vampires? Yeah. I like those are the two that I enjoy most. See, this is why you and I get along so well, Esmeralda. Those are my two. <laughs> those like zombie and those, vampire movies. That's it. That's why you and I, I were meant to work mo- together. They're very, because they're very outside the realm of. Yeah anything possible like you know I'm serial you. killers that could actually happen oh <laughs> uh, have you watched this Dahmer thing no i don't want oh, to it looks man. just gross it's just I, too much for me it was three three episodes in and i was like god damn i it's just i can't do it i can't yeah um, I can't and despite the fa- things that are this, too close to reality yeah well like especially like if it's too based close on to my like, living and not life. only that but but you know what i mean <laughs> but there were there are people that are still affected by that who you know what i mean whose family members were fucking killed by this guy and exactly and it's exactly. very That's, it's no. it's very exploitive you know what i mean i don't know D- mm-hmm. despite the fact that like i mean the performances are all good and fucking molly ringwald is in it esmeralda and yeah. plays plays jeff dahmer's um stepmother and she, and it's and I love her and I'm like every you know like I've, I made it through four episodes and I'll continue to watch it slowly you know what I mean like I'll watch yeah. it uh, and and Evan Peters who plays Dahmer is creepy as fuck and he's very good in it mm-hmm. but I just have an issue with it it just makes me and and you know how I feel yeah. I'll watch any horror movie you know what I mean like I don't have any morals when it comes to horror movies I just have an issue with the fact that these are real people and real people died and it seems exploitive to me that's yeah and it's very much so. Um... My my friend Adam Selzer, he's a historian, yeah. essentially, and he does tours. He does, like, haunted tours. He does, like, all this stuff. Yeah. But the thing is, he... And I asked him once. I was like, what year, like, how close to now do you go? And he's like, I don't. Nothing... Like, he sticks to, like, maybe 30s, 40s. It's yeah. probably as, as early or as late as he goes. Yeah. But he just doesn't do anything that's, like very recent because it's like no it's just too soon the, honestly you know the, the people the, are the, affected there's oh no. absolutely absolutely and the thing is and i and i understand you know like the, i run really hot and cold on ryan murphy ryan murphy is the guy who who you know is behind this and he's made a ton of other things behind glee mm-hmm. he's the guy who's yeah. responsible for glee yeah, yeah, all yeah. the the american horror story stuff the american crime yep. story the the oj thing all that stuff and mm-hmm. i run hot and cold on him i love some of his stuff like i thought the oj thing was fantastic i thought it was great and, mm-hmm. and, and yet I can't stand American Horror Story. I think it just sucks. And sometimes I love it, sometimes I don't. But the thing about this, and I, can, I totally understand why he, he's doing it. I mean, one, he loves horror and he likes to make creepy things and he, he really excels at creeping people out. Okay, I understand right. that. But his, 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 to, to justify him making this is because he wanted to shine a light on the fact that one of the reasons why so many men were killed in this situation is because of rampant homophobia, uh, bad police work and racism. Um, because it was mostly, it was mostly African-American. Uh, it, it, like there was a, a majority of the, of the guys murdered were, 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 were men of color. 
and mm-hmm. almost all of them were gay. And and nobody, you know, and the point of this series is that he wants to shine a light on the fact that one of the reasons why Dahmer was able to get away with it while his whole apartment stunk, you know what I mean? Like there was very weird mm-hmm. fucking shit going on. And the cops ignored it because he was gay. The cops ignored it because it was it was that, you know, that slimy subculture, according to them, of gays and and, you know, and minorities. So who gives a shit? Yeah. And so and that's all true. And I mean, the fact that it was bad police work and it was racism and it was homophobia and it was I don't get, you know, like the cop, you know, people were like neighbors and stuff like I don't give a shit. It's just gay people and black people. They they should die. Right. And, and, and Murphy wanted to show that. And he does. He successfully shows that. He really does. And that's true. You know, the, you know Dahmer should have been busted a lot earlier than he was, but nobody cared because it was a subculture made up of minorities and gay people. You know what I mean? And it's yeah. like, who gives a shit about them? And so Ryan Murphy wanted to shine a light on that. And I will say this. It's successful in doing that. It really is successful. And for people who might not you know, believe it or know it, uh, that's that's a major point in this thing. It's just it makes me want to take a shower after I watch it, and it's because this shit yeah, is too it's, it's too recent. Well, yeah, it's yeah it's too recent. I mean, it's in our lifetimes, completely yeah. in our lifetimes. Like you were a grown man when all of this was happening. I was. Uh, let me tell you something about this, Esmeralda. Leslie it was Presley. Like what? 80s. 91. 91. I can 80s I can to tell 91. you. 91. So like yep. you you were living. You were not, yeah. Like, it's not like you didn't know what was going on. Like you oh, absolutely. I can tell you. So. I can, as well. I can tell you exactly when when the whole story broke. When he got busted. Yeah. I was in Milwaukee when it happened. Oh. I was in Milwaukee with Leslie Presley, oh. um, my old girlfriend Leslie Presley, um, and we went up to Milwaukee to go to Summerfest, um, and you know spend the weekend in Milwaukee, go to Summerfest, and when we were leaving Milwaukee the story broke and we heard it on the radio that there's this guy, Jeffrey Dahmer and blah, blah, blah. And all the details started to come out and we were, and I'm not, I'm not joking Esmeralda. about two hours earlier, as we were listening to this news report come out about this guy, Jeffrey Dahmer, we were in the car driving back to Chicago and two hours earlier, we were in the mall and on the street where he picked up a lot of guys. Oh God. I'm not kidding. I was like, Holy fuck. We were just in those places. So yeah, when that story broke, I literally hours earlier was in the places where it happened. Gross. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. Um, anyway. Yeah, I just it's it's too much. It's too creepy for me. I'm yeah. not, and I'm not a big. You know what? Honestly, I'm not a big true crime person at all. I yeah, I know people. I know people who are obsessed with it. I realize that, and that's cool. You know, I mean, if that's your thing, that's cool. Look, my, my, one of my favorite people in the world, Jen Bosworth Ramirez, is obsessed with the true crime stuff. And we'll yeah. watch it. Now, I think there's a difference between, I don't know why, but I think there's a difference between documentaries that get permission from the people involved than reenactments or, you know what I mean, like stuff that's exploitive, that's fictional, yeah. like, a, like a fictional account of it. Like, I, I find, like, the true crime stuff where, you know, the people that were involved and you got the okays from the families and stuff like that, that at least is, a, is like, sort of legit documentary, and I can find that stuff a lot more palatable than watching some fictional account of of Dahmer, you know? Yeah, that too. The the yeah, the fact that it is like and of course there's going to be a level of dramatization. Yeah. Now, you know who played you know who played Dahmer in a different movie? Um, uh, in an early, no. you don't know, you don't know. <laughs> no. <laughs> this is what? I don't know. <laughs> uh Jeremy, Jeremy Renner 
played Dahmer in a really. Uh, I mean, I can see it. I mean, blonde. Yeah. yeah. Glasses. Jeremy Renner, really. Jeremy Renner pre Hurt Locker. Jeremy Renner played Dahmer in a movie. Huh. Pre, right. pre. What's his name? What the hell's his name in the in the Marvel movies? He he shoots the arrows. What's his fucking uh, name? Sh- Hawkeye. Hawkeye. Hawk. Hawkman. Hawk, Hawkeye. Hawkman. Yeah, he's he, Hawkman. I hate his character. <laughs> Everybody him in, does. Him in, him in, in um, Scarlett Johansson's just seems so useless to me. <laughs> yeah. Um, like, how I, are they getting up in there with all those superheroes? Like, they have no superpowers. Like, yeah. they're just well, not, knocked not, over. No. Well, Iron Man doesn't have superpowers. Yeah, but he he's just got a that lot. metal suit. Well, he he's got a lot of money. Right, because he can build that shit because he's rich. <laughs> That's that. Well, his his superpower is he's loaded. That's the that that Hawkeye a big old metal suit or something, and maybe I'll be into it. No, people make fun. He is like the he is like the bastard child of the Avengers. Like people I mean, totally he also mock has, that character. He also has fucking bows and arrows. Like it just yeah. No, he's something he, about it. I can't. I'm like bows and arrows. I mean, yeah. cool, but and, and 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 everybody now hates Jeremy Renner. I remember when he first burst. When like I, you know, I love The Hurt Locker. It's one of my favorite movies, and he's phenomenal in it. But he really, like, since then he's fallen from grace big time. The whole. You remember when he had like the he released an album. And he had yeah, like Yeah, I was going to say, doesn't he sing or something? Oh yeah. No, no, he released an album and he had like the Jeremy Renner like like website or so. I can't remember, but there was a whole thing and 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 I still like him. I still think he's a good actor. It's just that he's it was made like a very some... Bruce Bruce Willis situation, right? Yeah, oh, Bruno, a very Bruno like situation. <laughs> oh, at least he didn't change his name, right? Like, yeah, it's like just, yeah, Bruno. Oh man, he's just Jeremy Renner. Yeah, here's a, a fan. Here's a fan of Bruno. Yeah, man. Oh yeah. Yeah, man. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god! I, you know who else I think likes uh, uh, likes Bruno? Uh, uh, the wind beneath my wings. That's right. By the way, this Jeremy, I'm looking at a picture of him. Which one of, of Jeremy? Jeremy Renner? Dahmer. He looks oh. so like sweet. You know what I mean? Like yeah, yeah, Evan yeah. Peters, who plays Dahmer in these new movies, like he looks oh, he's... like grody and kind of yeah, creepy. Totally Jeremy creepy. Jeremy Renner's like, hi. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, how you I doing? Have, I have I have shaggy blonde hair. Yeah, how you doing? Uh, <laughs> I'm gonna make stew looks, out of you tonight. So I'll see you later. He looks like um, a lot of dudes I've seen. Like, yeah, he, yeah. It's just it's just so weird because like you know like I knew like when I saw the Hurt Locker, I had seen the Dahmer movie already, but I didn't put two and two together. Mm-hmm. Like when I saw the Hurt Locker, I didn't meet like when he showed up in the Hurt Locker, I didn't go, hey, there's Dahmer. You know what I mean? I didn't. I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't you know figure that out until later. I mean, I think that's good. No, it's very good. It's very that good. That that's and, not like literally people are like, right. yes, it's Dahmer. Yeah. I'm sure I'm sure Catherine Bigelow was a relief that nobody recognized him, you know, like as Dahmer. Like I don't want to right. cast a <laughs> Dahmer is now, you know, diffusing bombs in the Middle East. I don't know why that's not gonna work out. <laughs> but I love that you love that you that zombie movies are your favorite. I that's yeah. awesome. I, yeah, uh, I don't now, seem to mind all the goo and gore and no. Here's what here's gross, what we should but do. I still die. It's fine. Here's what we should do. <laughs> we should get. We should go. You, me, Colin. I'll be a third wheel again. Um, <laughs> we should go see. They are showing at the Regal Cinemas, the one right here, City North on Western. Mm-hmm. Uh, for a week, they are re-releasing it, even though it has no business. Uh, they're, they're re-releasing George Romero's Dawn of the Dead, the 
Godfather, the quintessential, the greatest zombie movie ever made. And they're re-releasing it on the big screen and in 3D. Oh, wow. So (laughs) even though it was not meant to ever be seen in 3D, even though Romero is probably either laughing in his grave or spinning in his grave at the the idea that they're re-releasing his movie in 3D. And by the way, in regal theaters, and many of which are attached to malls, so right there, he he would get a kick out of that. Um, But you should, if you've never, and I'm sure you've never, you've never... His movie, at least if I remember correctly, Dawn of the Dead, it was very uh, like 3D feeling, or at least it had those like very it had in scenes there where the moments. it had yes, it had it, it definitely has scenes where uh, the zombies come at the camera. There's no question about right, that. I mean, the, that the one like close up shot or something. Yeah, that one of the most legendary two 3D. One of the most legendary uh, moments and images in the movie, one of the most iconic images in the movie, is when the elevator doors open and a bunch of zombies are right outside and they, and they reach in. And that's like mm-hmm. a, it's a legendary, iconic shot from that movie. Um, it's just that, you know, he'd never want this movie to be re-released in right. 3D. But you know, like his family, his, his family uh, does not own the movie. It's owned by this guy named John Rubenstein. And to get into the history of the legal problems between the two of them and... Mm. why there are 27 different DVD and Blu-ray packages from different companies. Because John Rubenstein was like, yeah, go ahead, sell it here, sell it there. He didn't give a shit. Right. Uh, and so the estate, the George Romero estate, has been in legality, has had legality issues with Rubenstein forever. Um, and that's why this movie is getting released in, three, in 3D. And of course <laughs> I'm going to go. George will be mad at me. But I'm going to go because any chance I get to see Dawn of the Dead on the big fucking screen, even if it's in 3D, I'm going. You know, yeah. um, so Is you should the go one where they where's the seat where they're eating the dude. Well, they eat a lot. Of, I mean, they eat dudes yeah, in but every like, one of this them. This one's very um, graphic. Like they're just like there's. Yes. Them. Yes. I mean, in all of the movies. But yes, there are there are classic moments. I mean, Day of the Dead has the moment where like they tear the guy apart and start ripping his intestines out. And oh, he's wait, that's what I'm thinking. And he's screaming as they're ripping the intestines <laughs> out. He's screaming yeah. at the zombies. He's screaming at the zombies, Esmeralda choke on it like as they're eating him oh yeah 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 that's what i'm thinking of. <laughs> i think the one the one that you keep referencing i think your favorite one subconsciously is day i think day of the dead is your favorite uh of the Romero movies. i, I just, think so because yeah. that's got bub that's got bub that's got the yeah i think you might like so day what the happened most. in that that's when they, they were in a military complex uh, uh okay. stuck underneath yes. the earth and there was a scientist yes. who was doing experiments on the zombies uh, mainly okay. bub and there was an there was like uh, arguments a lot between the military and uh, and the non-military who were in the um, who were stuck there and fights and there's a lot of talk in the movie and then the last like 45 <laughs> minutes and it's great it's brilliant it's brilliant it's one of the best movies ever and the last 45 minutes is nothing but mayhem <laughs> nothing but mayhem and that you know, like and and the guy getting his guts ripped out in front of him with his arms yeah. being torn off and everything, he's still conscious, screaming at yeah. the zombies, I hope you fucking choke on it, with blood <laughs> shooting out of his mouth. Fantastic. So I think Day yeah, of the maybe, Dead is... Maybe that's, Day of the Dead is the... <laughs> yeah, I think, say, I, think, I think secretly you love Day of the Dead. I think that's your favorite. <laughs> I just keep conflating them all together. <laughs> you do. Well, I it's easy I've to do. Seen, yeah. I've seen Dawn of the Dead. Uh, I think I saw the, the most recent one first. Right. The, the remake the, from, yeah. The remake. Right. And then I saw the original. Yeah. 
Well, you should let, let's let's plan on doing this. So we'll pick a showtime and we'll go and we'll and, and we'll go uh, we'll go see it because I'd love to be in the theater with you seeing it on the big screen in 3D. You and Colin, that'd be fantastic. Yeah. So because uh, it's classic, it's the best one. But, uh, but yeah, I can understand. Listen, if you ever if you ever want to call me up in the middle of the night and go, listen, what uh, movie has the scene where the zombie does? That? And I'll, I'll tell you immediately. <laughs> I can tell you. I can tell you. Hey, which w- one? Uh, <laughs> and then the R and then this happens. I can then- tell you. Don't worry about it. I got gotcha. you. I got gotcha. you. If you ever have a question about any of the George Romero movies mm. <laughs> or any zombie movies, <laughs> I can help you out. I can clear that up for you. So anyway. All right. Uh, you know what? We didn't even get at all to uh, spinoffs or not spinoffs, but uh, bad uh, early roles for uh, for actors, which we were going to get to. Well, didn't even get time. to it next time. We'll do that next time for sure. <laughs> Uh, but you know what? Was there any early roles in these movies? In the uh, <laughs> zombie movies, yeah. Uh, oh boy, geez, uh, yeah. I'll have to think about that um, for early early roles for zombie movies. Yeah, that's a good. Well, I will say this: the guy who played Bob. Here's one, Esmeralda. We can close on okay. this one to bring it full circle. And thank you. That's why you're mm-hmm. the best. Mm-hmm. Uh, the guy who played Bob <laughs> in, in Day of the Dead, the zombie who learns how to use a gun and all that stuff. He mm-hmm. was eventually. Uh, in the episode of Seinfeld, uh, where he's the guy who gets the junior mint in his body. He's the one that's having the operation. <laughs> no. Oh, that's great. That's him. Wow. Uh, Howard. Interesting. What the fuck is his last name? Howard. Uh, his name is Howard something. He's the actor. He played Bub in Day of the Dead, and he played uh, the guy getting the spleenectomy in um in uh, Seinfeld where the junior mint flies up in the air and goes into his cap in his body cavity. Uh, Sherman Howard. Ha- Sherman Howard. There you go. Or no, I think it's Howard Sherman. Or is it Sherman Howard? Uh Google says Sherman Howard. Okay, Sherman Sherman Howard. I knew Howard was in there. So he Oh, and then somebody has an interview on YouTube that says Howard Sherman. Okay. <laughs> so... All right, I think it's Howard Sherman. I think it's Howard Sherman. But anyway, but yeah, so he's Bob the zombie and the junior mint guy. <laughs> so there you go. So uh, there are more. There's more well, where there that you go. came See? from. See, we talked yeah. about it. <laughs> yeah, we did. There's an early role, but we'll get to the whole that whole article, and we got more. And we're actually going to. I think on the next one, as well, we're going to do it because it's that time of year and it's Halloween time. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk about pumpkin mm-hmm. spice, which is scary. Yeah. Yes. And uh, very, wait, that's it's not so spoopy at all. Oh, that's, that's not spoopy. Scary. There's nothing. Spo- wait a minute. Honey. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. So uh, that's that. <laughs> That's, that's not spoopy. Scary shit, that pumpkin that's spice. That's right. <laughs> so we'll talk about pumpkin spice and taste some pumpkin spice stuff mm-hmm. um, uh, on, the next, uh, on the next episode. And also, Dan Feinberg is going to join us on the next one when we come yes. back on Tuesday for TV Talk from The Hollywood Reporter and The Fine Print. Lots of TV to talk about. Oh, if there's, any, if, if there's any pumpkin spice stuff, send us an email. Oh, yeah. Call and tell us yes. That you tell us like, about your, your – if you like certain pumpkin spice stuff, tell us about it. Recommend it to us. Give us your pumpkin spice adventure stories. Uh, and you can set, you can leave your voicemail seven seven three four one seven six nine four eight seven seven three four one seven six nine four eight. Email us twenty four seven nickdpodcast at gmail dot com. Again, uh, Zanies and Rosemont Tuesday, uh, November fifteenth. We are live. Uh, the podcast is live eight four seven eight one three zero four eight four for tickets. And the website is rosemont.zanies.com. We hope you pack the place. My thanks to Jason Skaggs. Uh, my thanks to Ed and everybody at Radio Misfits. Rate and review us, and uh, make sure you check us out. If you want to be a sponsor, advertise with us, uh, contact us, sales at radiomisfits.com. Esmeralda, thank you. You rule. Oh, thank you. And, uh, and you uh, we'll, see you, we'll see you next time on the Nick D. Podcast on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network.